Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Shelby Cohen from Intuit, and we're discussing adoption and challenges of bringing Kotlin into a company, and even more so, bringing functional programming into a company. Hi, Shelby, and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Last time we met and first time we met was at uh, KotlinConf last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you based, actually? I'm in San Diego, California. Oh, uh, that's actually, if I'm not mistaken, if, I think San Diego was the first city I ever visited in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it's a great city. It is. And uh, so, yeah, so we met in at uh, KotlinConf uh, because you were uh, volunteering there and you've been... Uh, working with Kotlin and you were you were doing like had a lot of interest and you were speaking about things around functional programming and we decided to have a talk about this because of some of the challenges etc that you were saying that you were confronting and overcoming in adopting Kotlin at your company and I was just you know we were just talking about this previously that this is a topic that comes up so many times to you know for for me even even after like the official uh Android announcement of support, people still kind of say like, how do I convince my manager or how do I convince my team or how do I convince X and Y to uh, adopt Kotlin? So can you tell us a little bit first about your company and what you do? Sure. So I work at Intuit and I work on mostly backend server-side Java services, um, but we have introduced Kotlin to my team. So also, some other teams use Kotlin for server-side programming, um, but we basically have um, Android teams that are using Kotlin, and um, we make financial products. So here in San Diego, we're the consumer group, so we work on mostly tax products. So some of our products are TurboTax, QuickBooks, Mint, um, and Turbo. And um, here in San Diego, um, I've been specifically focused. I worked on Turbo for a little bit, and then I switched to an internal tools quality team. So basically, I work on internal tools for other engineers, product managers, designers to help them test that the best they can. So um, my team and also just in general, Intuit is a great place for tech learning and tech experimentation. So I was always encouraged to try new technologies um, and play around with them. So that's kind of how I introduced Kotlin to my team. How big is it in, in, in terms of company size? We have about 8,000 employees. Okay, so it's pretty damn big, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like, a, 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 you know, a, because often the introduction of, of a technology, you know, directly correlates to the size of the company as well. Yeah. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it's harder in larger companies because you have to go through more red tape. And all of these applications that you're talking about, they're all web-based and mobile, or do you also do desktop? We also do desktop. Which is what? QuickBooks? Is QuickBooks desktop? For TurboTax. Oh, TurboTax. And what technology do you use for the desktop? Um, I'm actually not that familiar with the desktop team. Okay. I, because, I mean, this has been around for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was just curious what you use because, I mean, I, I remember using some early on uh, similar tools like for invoicing, for taxes, et cetera, and a lot of them were based on 
uh, VB. Some of them were even based on Delphi. That, mm -hmm. That's why I was asking. Cool. So you're on the server side uh, team, and then you said you moved on to kind of like the internal tools, right? Yeah. So I've been mostly server side ever since I've been here. There's definitely room to explore other parts of the stack on my team and working with many other teams, but primarily I do server side development. And before you joined, what was the stack? Were they using Kotlin or was it uh, primarily Java? Primarily we're a Java shop. So um, there might've been some teams who have started exploring with Kotlin, but I started using it about a year ago and Pretty much since then, there's been um, slowly more and more teams using it across the board. So did you start, I mean, having mobile applications is what you do, right? You, you yep. have Android. So did, did was the Android team the first uh, team to adopt Kotlin or did you actually start it from server side? I think that there was an Android team up in Mountain View on our QuickBooks team um, who had some Kotlin, but there, we've really been learning it together, but Android teams have been faster to adopt it for sure. Right. And, you know, again, it's not common often for people like for, for the Android side of things, uh, as we were mentioning, it's kind of easier sell, right? You know, uh, yeah. Google now promotes Kotlin and you find documentation of Android in Kotlin, official documentation. So, you know, people don't really think twice about it in that sense. I mean, obviously, people still make, uh, you know, evaluate technologies, but it's, it's easier. And a lot of times when I'm out engaging with people or, or talking to people, people come and say to me and like, you know, how can I adopt server side or why don't I hear enough about server side? And it's a, it's a really big shame because we have a lot of companies that are adopting Kotlin on the server side. And uh, we've got very large ones. I mean, we got, uh, you know, a few months ago, I was interviewing uh, Rafael from Allegro, which is kind of like the equivalent of Amazon slash eBay for Poland and some of Eastern Europe. You know, they're, they're using Kotlin on the server side. But we don't hear as much about this as Android. So it's refreshing to hear that, you know, Intuit is also using Kotlin from the server side. But were you the person that introduced it to this or... or did you kind of like join it? So I learned about Kotlin through um, a learning community we have here. So we have tons of different options. They're basically classes that are taught by different engineers during lunch. Um, and one of them that I attended was the functional programming learning community. And that was primarily functional programming in Java. But once we started learning more about functional programming, we started introducing new languages just to explore a little bit. And that's where I was introduced to Kotlin. So with some other engineers who were on different teams, we, we started learning that together. And then I brought that idea back to my own team to say, uh, I would really like to start using it. Can we, can we introduce it to our team? Can we introduce it to our development cycle? And so what I did was I asked if I could complete one of the features that I was already committed to complete in that sprint. I, I asked if I could just do it in Kotlin and see, see how it went and use that sort of as my proof of concept. And it went well. It was really easy to integrate into our project. We used Spring Boot. 
um, for pretty much all our tools internally. And so um, it wasn't hard to integrate and it let me do a lot of the functional programming things I was learning. So sort of a nice transition from Java and Java functional programming to Kotlin. And as I continued writing more and more Kotlin, I felt like I was writing in a more functional way, in a cleaner way. And then, you know, it spread to my team as well as um, starting our own learning community for just Kotlin. So now we have a group of us that meet every Tuesday and we're all on different teams. So we, we've been going through the Kotlin in Action book and doing different activities together to help spread that community inside into it. So that's been really helpful and really great spread across teams now that my team is is using it. So when you came with the idea of adopting Kotlin, you didn't only come with Kotlin, but you came with Kotlin and doing a more functional programming approach to things? Yes, and it was, I knew that I sort of had to pick one first. We already were doing some functional programming in Java, so it wasn't totally far off, um, but we did, I would say when we started writing Kotlin on our team, we started writing it just like Java. And the more and more we had it and people felt comfortable with it, we started introducing more and more functional. Okay, because I was gonna say that it's it's like, I mean, from your perspective and or whoever, it's fine if they wanna do both at the same time, but introducing this to a, to a code base, introducing new language and a new approach, I guess is, sometimes double the work in terms of trying to convince people that hey yeah. it's still okay you know what i mean yeah and that was one of the big challenges um, we did overcome intuit's been open to functional programming for a long time so the idea of it isn't um so shocking for people so i think it was a nice transition it's almost like kotlin really helped at least some of my team members and myself learn functional programming. So we didn't say you have to program in Kotlin and you have to do functional programming. It was a really smooth transition where you had the option to write new functionality in our project in Kotlin. And now we still have the option. So if we we have um, on our team, we promote open contribution within Intuit as well. So when someone else is contributing a feature to our project, we give them the option if they want to write it in Java or Kotlin. And that's one of the biggest benefits that it's easy to add to our Java projects that have been worked on for maybe years. So that's been really, really easy to do and let people decide that for themselves. Sorry to divert a second, but you brought up something interesting. You said open, open contribution. So that's mm -hmm. kind of like uh, an open source uh, philosophy in a way within the company, like anybody yeah. could contribute to any code base. Yeah. That's nice. Interesting. Does that yeah. happen a lot? It's, we're definitely working towards having it happen more. Um, but on my team specifically, it's, it's one of our goals to make that easy for people. So we're constantly trying to make it easier for people to contribute to our projects. And every time we do a new feature that someone else develops, um, it's it's nice because our, our customers are right here at Intuit. So when we are doing customer interviews and someone really wants a new feature in one of our internal tools, 
we can empower them to actually just contribute that feature if we already have too much on our plate. And in the past, I would say six months, we've had a few really awesome experiences with members of other teams contributing. And these are completely like diverse projects that aren't really related to one another? Um, in terms of the internal tools we have or? In, in terms of uh, open contribution, like, you know, you're on one team and can go and contribute to a product of another team. Yeah, so that's the that's the goal. And that's what I think Intuit's working towards. The tools on my team are definitely, I would say, easier to contribute to since they're not as big. There's not, they haven't been worked on for as long or, um there's not as many teams working on the same tool. So it's, I would say it's a good starting point to really learn about open contribution and see where that takes us. But they are features um, from people who are on completely different teams. And I've actually used Kotlin and functional programming as kind of a way to entice people to want to contribute because if some people, maybe they, they like functional programming or Kotlin, but they're not getting the chance to do that on their team right now, they can practice by contributing to the project that I work on. Okay. I mean, we do this a little bit inside JetBrains as well, right? Uh, you know, you have people, I mean, there's people on the developer advocacy team that have contributed to, to the different products and, and there are people from different products that contribute to one another. But I always kind of also thought it was a little bit due to the nature of, of our products, because the vast majority of them are based on the same platform. I mean, I don't know, there may exist that someone from Team City, for example, might contribute to an IDE or vice versa. But mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting to, to see that this approach is kind of like um, formalized in a way, uh, as you mentioned, in, in your company, you're mm -hmm. trying to promote it. It kind of goes against this idea of like uh, code ownership in a way, right? Like having a single person responsible for a single area, feature, et cetera, which isn't always the best thing. Yeah. And I find when I'm trying to figure out with the internal customers, you know, how to solve the problem, whatever they're trying to test or whatever they're trying to do, um, they feel when they get to contribute to that feature, it's so close, the problem is so close to them that the feature, at least we just had a feature release um, that was completely open contributed. So I just worked with the person on the other team and helped figure out, you know, where, they, how we were going to architect it and design it. But then I let them just go and like we do code reviews and there's so much testing and everything like that. But it was it was a really smooth process because they knew exactly what they wanted to get done. So it, sa it saved us a lot of time. That's nice. And it also obviously helps with uh, onboarding new people, right? Because if you yeah, have all definitely. of this in place, uh, someone new comes, they've, they've got documentation, they've got process, they've got like the steps to follow, etc. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. So before diving into like Kotlin in a way and, and what things you do regarding functional programming, I have to ask, right? Because you said that generally people at Intuit were open to functional programming. Have mm -hmm. you, do you, or have you in the past tried Scala at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure how many teams have tried using Scala um, 
in their projects, just like we use Java or Kotlin, but we do use Scala with Gatling for our performance testing. So it's a small part of our stack, but um, we, we do have Scala on most teams because of our performance tests, but the conversation to have Scala be a language that's used frequently on most teams. I have not been aware of that conversation as much. So yeah, so I'm not sure about that. So another thing that sometimes people ask me is I show someone Kotlin and they look at it and they're like, okay, fine. It's a little bit of syntax sugar and it's or syntactic sugar and it's a uh, you know, it's, it cuts down a little bit of boilerplate code, but it doesn't really convince me to adopt it. Have you ever had this challenge? Like, has anyone ever had kind of like this debate with someone on your on your team that has seen Kotlin and said, nah, not for me? Yeah, definitely. Um, the conversations always happen, but there's a specific time where when we, me and another junior engineer, we're just starting to really get into using Kotlin. And we set up a meeting to have a code review on some of the code that we wrote together um, in Kotlin. And uh, it turns out we had about four or five Java leaders. So they, they led entire Java teams come to this meeting. And we had a really, really good debate about why, if we should introduce Kotlin, this was probably, this was probably about 10 months ago. Um, and we had a really good debate and all of those leaders are coming from the perspective of, is this going to slow down my team? If we all start using it, what resources do we need? What are the benefits are, do our security tools work with this language? Like what, what really is the benefit? And that question really, we didn't really know at the time besides the fact that we loved programming in it and we knew the we knew the quick benefits of the language and we could express that but we needed to kind of formulate our thoughts in a way to convince developers that might have not they might have never used Kotlin before and the best way is just to get them to use it cuz once they start using it i've found that people are quick to start to see the benefits, but if they've never used it before, um, how are we gonna convince them? So that's where um, this white paper started, where I've, I've never written a white paper before this one, but it was really just a way to formulate our opinions on why we think teams should be using Colin and why it's gonna help our, our development process and how it's helped my team specifically so far. Um, and we were trying to figure out ways on how to measure our development cycle with Java compared to Kotlin. So that's been definitely a challenge figuring that out and getting that data to convince people. But I find the more data you have, the easier it is to convince people because leaders especially are, are going to be concerned about if it's a good decision to introduce it when maybe we might change our mind in a few years or however long. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember one of the papers that uh, kind of made the rounds regarding Kotlin and I, I'm guessing that I would, I think it's fair to say that contributed massively to its adoption was the one by uh, Jake Wharton, 
mm-hmm. regarding, you know, uh, he kind of had the same situation. He wanted to adopt Kotlin at Square and they were like reluctant to it. So he goes out and writes this tremendous paper around like trying to prove everything he was saying. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying that, you, you know, you've got something uh, similar going on there. Um, yeah. And is, is your version also public or is it just uh, internal? No, right now it's just internal. Um, but we could see where it goes in the future. And we've had um, a few different engineers contribute to it. Um, the ones who are in that Kotlin learning community. And then we've had it reviewed by a lot of our leaders. So hopefully it starts making its way around a little bit more. It would be great if it goes public, especially if you're using it for server side, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. again, like people keep putting things into different buckets, which I don't necessarily agree with. But anyway, but I, I'm like, it, it's funny in a way. Also, you know, you're like saying to someone, "Look, just try this language. It is nice. It's not about just syntax sugar, syntactic sugar. It's just you know, it's a whole bunch of things that come together, and it it makes it really good and and productive, etc." And they're like, no. And you're like, okay, well, here's a 300-page document proving to you that it's good. And they'll be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to read that. Okay, you've convinced me. Like- Definitely. And I think, I think Intuit's really still experimenting in using Kotlin. And so hopefully this will be a tool to help continue convincing people. And, you know, I think it just takes time, especially for a bigger company, to make sure that we're following all our standards to officially adopt a language. So I think this experimentation period is going well and we're learning a lot. Um, and these discussions are happening, which is the most important part. And it's fair for this to happen, you know, because mm-hmm. a, a lot of times we kind of forget, like, you know, I could adopt a technology or a framework or a language at a company. And then six months later, I'm like, well, screw it, I'm leaving, I'm going to another job. And you're stuck with something that nobody really knows or gets or wants to support, right? I mean, it's a fair question for people to have at the end of the day. Definitely. So so in terms of uh, functional programming, where did you start with that and where are you now? Because I mean, again, functional programming is, it's kind of like, you know, what color is the sky kind of question, you know, who you ask, what they do, what they consider functional programming or not. Uh, so, and a lot of times I find that, that people fall or kind of follow this idea that I'm either doing everything that they've been, they've told me that I have to do in functional programming to be doing functional programming or if I'm not, then I'm not doing functional programming. And I'm not mm-hmm. of that camp. I mean, I, I pick and choose different things. And whatever I find good, I use. Whatever I still don't understand, well, I try to learn more. So where are you in this whole kind of like uh, spectrum? So I, I definitely pick and choose as well. And I think that when I first started learning it, I was trying to make everything functional. And I really didn't fully understand. So I had to kind of take a step back and I started a lot smaller just to slowly understand. It's a a different way of thinking. It's a different way of writing code. So for me, I started things like simple for loops and if statements, switching them to map and filter. Um, Little things like that throughout my code. First was I almost had to write it not functionally before and then switch it. 
And that would take a little longer, but then eventually I just started thinking in that way and I had map and flat map all over my code and things like that. So I'm definitely still learning and there, there's so much to learn in functional programming. I'm, I'm not a, right now, I don't feel like my code is purely functional at all, but it's working towards that way. And when I can, I, I try to make it more functional and something we do in the functional programming learning community is you can bring code there and you can, we'll edit it as a group and try to make it more functional. And that process itself has really helped me learn and um, continue trying to make my code better. And specifically in Kotlin, I just was, I happened to be learning Kotlin in parallel with functional programming. And so it, it went really nicely together. Um, so it's hard to say if like I learned functional programming because of Kotlin, but it's really what introduced me to it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning a lot, but yeah. do Do you think it's a good language to introduce people to functional programming? Yeah, I think definitely. Like, what do you think makes it uh, easier than something like Java or to go to the extreme uh, Haskell? So I think that Java specifically, it's hard to say because I started learning Java as my first language in college and have learned Java in a non-functional way for a long time. So it's almost like a mindset switch. I also had never used Kotlin before, but you know, having immutable variables, Lambda syntax, like little things like that make it easier I think to in simpler really to do things um, and top level functions, I guess. And also. Top level functions, yeah, definitely. Um, so many things that um, I didn't do in Java, I find it easy to do in Kotlin, like using when expressions and expressions as the function body. Like I'm really thinking of my functions as one input and one output, and I'm thinking of my code more like mathematical equations. And I didn't do that as much in Java. I found myself writing in our server-side code. We, we constantly have, you know, service calls where we get back a status and then we check if that status was a 200 and then mutate that response to call something else and things like that. And I was looking for a way to really try and figure out a better way to organize our server-side code. And so that's when I introduced, um, after we used Kotlin, I introduced Arrow and also Project Reactor. And that's really helped us, um, not just in a functional way, but organize our server-side code in a very explicit, defi like defining a success state and error state that has changed um, our server-side code completely. So we never mutate variables. We're never mutating data. Everything's immutable. And we have a success state and failure state defined at the lowest layer. So everywhere else in the code, it's, it's really easy to tell um, what state we're in and what if we're going to do our next service call or not. And I'll get to Arrow in a second. And I think quite a few people have probably heard of Arrow already, but not many people have heard of Project Reactor. Could you briefly say what that's about? Yeah, sure. So it's a 
reactive programming library that we, you can use with Kotlin or Java. And we use it um, when we want to do a bunch of different service calls at the same time um, in parallel and then somehow wrap up the responses and return them in a nice way to our users. So we introduced it when the project I work on specifically creates different test accounts with all different types of data added to that account. And so we have multiple services that add different types of financial data to the account. And so I use Project Reactor to be able to wrap all of our service calls in a type called a mono or a flux. And basically that's just saying I'm going to, a mono is I'm going to return zero to one things. And then a flux is I'm going to return zero to n things. And so it's really easy to flat map over those types and define an error state and then return the entire response from every service call that you have. So we've used it a lot for reactive programming. So you said that you use Arrow, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and I've been giving a few talks around Arrow and often I get asked uh, questions like, you know, I introduce people to very simple data types that Arrow provides. And, and one of the things I actually like about Arrow is that it's very modular. So you can mm -hmm. basically bring in what you want and, and not <laughs> use everything if you don't want. And uh, so you're familiar with the either or, or do the Americans yep. say either or either? Is it the British that say either? I don't know. Either, 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 either any, any. <laughs> so you're familiar with either. So yeah. just the other day I was uh, in, uh, in the Kotlin user group in Prague and I was giving this presentation on uh, either. And I was introducing either and then I was introducing the left, the right, the A, the B, the, the, the I, then I introduced the fold. And, uh, you know, I was telling them, like, instead of having to create your own sealed classes and, and having these uh, conditionals, you can cut down a lot of boilerplate code and just use either and then use mm -hmm. fold. And someone said to me, yeah, but how is that more com readable? Or they said readable, but I would favor comprehensible. Like, mm -hmm. how is that more comprehensible than an explicit sealed class and with a name? Uh, you know, like if I'm saying that uh, my, my class is returning a search result, how is either success comma failure more comprehensible? And how is fold more comprehensible? So I think that if you're using either or mono or flux in Project Reactor, there's always some sort of success and failure state or left or right or something like that um, in the type. And so I used to use sealed classes a lot before we used Arrow. And when we started using Arrow, I feel like there's a distinct way that we're defining all of our services to be. And so we could define all of those sealed classes for each one. Um, but I actually find it more simple to just use, have a left and a right. Um, that's the same type for each service. And it's easier when we're passing them around. Um, I, I would say it's it's a good argument. I also like sealed classes. So it really depends on the specific yeah. scenario. Yeah. But 
I typically am leaning towards using either more now. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to uh, complexity, and it's not really complexity; it's unfamiliarity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. once uh, you know, if if you come to me, and and I've never seen or done anything regarding functional programming, mm -hmm. and you say to me, uh, "Oh, I'm going to introduce you to Filter," or "I'm going to introduce you to Map." or flat mm -hmm. map, and I'll be like, you know, what the hell is that, right? I mean, filter, <laughs> intuitively, I can figure out what filter may do, mm -hmm. right? But m map, okay, even map, you could mm -hmm. kind of um, deduce, but flat map, right? Or, you know, these are concepts that people at, at times were, you know, at some point in time, they weren't familiar with, right? Yeah. Um, and now it's like second nature to everyone, right? And mm -hmm. even like in, in C Sharp, when they brought about uh, functional programming disguised as a SQL, they had, you know, functions called select, where, uh, and things that were in line with uh, s uh, SQL, right? Uh, and a lot of people actually confuse this and saying, oh, look, uh, C Sharp's brought uh, query languages, a query language for, for data, but no, it actually was introducing functional programming. They just called it different things, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it's, it all goes down to a case of uh, unfamiliarity, right? I mean, once you are familiar with these concepts, then you can really appreciate the amount of uh, code that it's re uh, reducing mm -hmm. and allowing you to do things like chaining and, and you know, piping and stuff. Um, so I'm in favor of it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And what else do you use from Arrow? Do you, I mean, do you, are you mostly staying with the data types or do you do any of, do you use any of like the monads? Uh, monad right now yeah. we're, we're just, we're just staying with the data types. Um, I think as you were just saying, like it is a learning curve. And so we're, I want to be careful to introduce too much at once. So we're sticking with the data types and um, sticking with Project Reactor um, for now. And when it comes to spring, uh, you mm -hmm. use Spring Boot. Yeah. So Spring Boot has its own kind of uh, convention slash model of programming where you have a lot of classes and you have to annotate these classes. And yep. how does that fit in with the whole functional approach? I mean, are you basically still using the classes, but you're trying to uh, limit as much as possible those classes maintaining states and treating each um, uh, member function as basically an input output? Yes, and there's there is this imperative shell, and um, so it's not purely functional. So we we our project is still designed around that. Um, so we just try to do the best we can. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, you in in some of these frameworks, you do have to actually alter state of outside objects, etc. Right, and there's no mm -hmm. real way yeah. around that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's more around kind of the new things that you are writing or the, you know, the business logic, the services that you're writing around these where you're trying to kind of take this more functional approach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm trying to introduce Kotlin into my organization and I'm getting pushback because they're saying that it's yet another technology and it really looks like syntactic sugar. What would you recommend to them to do? So definitely a few things. 
Um, make sure one big piece of advice is to be passionate about it, but watch how you're presenting about it and introducing it because you don't want people to feel like they're offending you or they, if they don't agree with that, because you want to make it really factual and data-driven with your research and things like that. And you don't want it to get to a point where people don't want to talk to you about it because um, there's too much passion around it. And I think we've, we've really done a good job as like a team of people who are interested in Kotlin across the company is in, you know, socializing the idea, finding those game changers and um, the people who really have a say, we're trying to reach them first and really focus on the people who you are impacting. So don't get too discouraged with the people who don't want to use it. Focus on the people who are already starting to adopt and use it. Um, And even if it's a small group, sometimes we only have four people come to the Kotlin learning session, but we still try and learn as much as we can as a group um, because that will slowly grow. So I would say be patient and um, kind of keep learning, keep learning on your own, even if the people around you aren't learning yet, because I think it will come. You know yourself, as I do, and many do, that once you try Kotlin, you fall in love with it in a sense, right? You just like the language and you want to continue to write in this language. And very rarely have I met, I mean, there are people. Most definitely, there are people that have used Kotlin and and after a month said, oh, I don't want this. I'm going back to Java or I'm going back to whatever I want. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I would say that a lot of people that try out Kotlin for a good amount of time stick to it. Have you ever actually said to someone, look, just try it and just just try it for a few weeks and see what you think? Mm -hmm. And has that worked for you? Yeah, I think that once people try it... um, they do start to like it. I mean, there's there's definitely experiences where people who have been Java developers for a really long time have trouble, you know, if they they don't do any functional programming and they see some Kotlin that is in a functional style and they're intimidated or there there is, you know, uh, some people who don't immediately see that um, benefit. But I would say the longer people use it, the more code reviews you do, um, you start to see the benefit more and more. So I haven't really seen anyone who's really committed to using it a little bit and and taking a chance on experiencing it, um, who hasn't really seen the big benefits. And embraced it fully, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. And I also like this idea of what you're talking about in terms of uh, learning groups. So this Mm -hmm. is something that you organize internally within your company? Yeah, we have have a bunch of them. Um, We have them during lunch usually, um, and we have different ones throughout the week. There's like a full stack one where they do, um, they have different topics every week. Um, to talk about different types of the stack. They have like guest speakers come in. Um, we have one. So the functional programming turned into one called All the Things. And it's really a group of people who do like functional programming, but we rotate throughout the month um, doing different things like lightning talks or code reviews, or we have some leaders come in and share 
and we can ask them questions. So um, it's really helped me ever since I started here. Um, I did do a six-month co-op here in 2016, and then I came back full-time about a year and a half ago. And it's really helped me learn outside of my team, meet new people across the company. Um, so it's been something that I've enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I really like the idea of kind of using these four code reviews and even more what you said about here's some code, let's try all between us to make this more functional. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that idea, right? Because it, yeah. it, it's something that a lot of people, uh, including myself, often struggle with, right? Like, how can I make this actually more functional? How can I, uh, you know, reduce the uh, the amount of moving parts? How can I make things more immutable? Is this the right way? And I really like that. We have a we have a, a, a Slack channel for this purpose. It's mm -hmm. in, at JetBrains. We just basically it's like kind of like around functional programming. It's like once in a while people throw in some code and say, "Hey, how can I make this more FP oriented?" Yeah. Um, but I think having like these group sessions uh, and doing this in a group would would really be cool. It's really nice. Yeah, it helped me learn a lot. So uh, it's something that that's why we wanted to start the Kotlin one because it's a lot easier when you're sitting with a group of people learning with you and it's it's a very open environment. So people ask questions. There's all different levels in the room. Um, so it's, it's a nice environment to be in. Cool. Well, it was great chatting with you. Uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to we get to meet again at the next Kotlin Conf, whenever that will be. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Ooh.